Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say ucap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear left turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta Okay. All, All right. right. <laughs> now I've pressed record. And, uh, fire, fire with fire. Fire with fire. Uh, as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted by my own. Uh, my own. Um, the reviews are in on on episode two thirty. Echo. <laughs> not not fitting. Not 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 ironically. I would say uh, we get to do this all over again. Yeah, it's kind of like get an, an echo. Over. Yeah, I know. Echo. Welcome to episode two thirty one v two Echo Echo was the episode that uh, that you guys uh, recorded from the campsite at uh, Sun and Fun a couple days ago. Go and uh, and it was a it was an interesting experiment. I well, thought you know the 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 only thing I would have to say at this stage is at least I pushed record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, listener Scrapyard Sound said uh, after listening to episode uh, two thirty Echo, I now appreciate the Herculean effort that goes into moderating Dave and Jeb. And uh, listener Martin Santek says just listen to Echo. The two of them need you badly. Uh, did they say it was 11 p.m.? There must have been a lot of empty cans. So, uh, no, I, no cans at all. 2:30 Echo is kind of a, a podcast about nothing. <laughs> That's not what it was. So it should be a huge hit. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was one of our last nights at uh, Sun and Fun. We were just sitting around the campfire, so to speak, and uh, two Daves and a Jeb. Two Dave, th- uh, two Daves and a Jeb. That's right. And, I'm so uh, mistreated. And uh, Dave put down, uh, it's turned on the little audio recorder on his telephone, and they chatted for a while. I thought Jeb, did you say Jeb turned on the audio That's what I meant to say. What did I say? That's all right. Uh, Cut him off from the Canada Dry, please. Yeah. So, uh, it was an an interesting episode. It had a lot of potential. Uh, (laughs) They're speechless. Can you believe it? (laughs) No, it's just that we're burned out from having done this twice in a row now. Yeah, we had to repeat, we had to repeat all of two and a half minutes. It's, you guys, you know, it was one of those wish you were here, uh, but since you're not, we're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so you just don't want to talk it, about this anymore, right? It, no, I'm fine. No, with it. I'm, I'm cool. I'm not I, sure how it so speaks for itself. It does. It does. And uh, and 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 letting you know the listeners. I'm, I'm really enjoying. I, they're having a ball with this. Let them speak on their own. Yeah, to, I, I didn't know. You know that we were playing the the, the game. That Jack isn't going to talk on this episode <laughs> until we were about two thirds into it. Yeah. Then, I, then I figured it out. Then it kind of lost its cachet. See, you you desperately want people to think that I was there, but uh, oh well. You mean as in. Like three feet away, sitting there staring at us, uh, you know. No, it was it was if someone had. Uh, this is a virtual hangar, hangar flying podcast. Except you were literally there, but virtually on the mute button. Uh, yeah, no, I. Okay, whatever you say, whatever you say. But you know, wanted to wanted you guys to kind of spread your wings and and fly on your own and. <coughs> 
do okay. your little thing here. All right. Fly, little birdie, fly. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious. I'm going into the forums here to see whether there's any conversation about this in the forums. Maybe we got too close fa- to the moon. He's just fascinated by this, isn't he? Sun and Fun just concluded yesterday, and he is fascinated with 230 Echo. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode 232 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on Monday evening, April 4th, 2011. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar uh, is uh, two of my good friends. (laughs) I hope, still. (laughs) Maybe it's time to revise that script. Who knows? Yeah, is... uh, uh, Dave Higdon's here. Hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, it's a it, 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 we're literally on a deck together. Again. We are. This this is unusual. That we the three of us are all here together, face to face, and uh, we'll see if we can do this with any fist fights or anything. But uh, um, we uh, we did. We just got back from uh, Sun and Fun. We actually did the second or the final Sun and Fun episode yesterday morning. Normally, we wouldn't have done another, another episode so quickly, but this is the last evening that all three of us are in the same place at the same time. So we thought it'd be fun to yeah to, probably. Until sometime in July, I think there's something happens in July. Yeah, something happened in July. It's probably going to be not talking about that. Michigan, yet. Wisconsin. Yeah, something like so, that. So, one of them. One of them states. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, and that's Jeb Burnside. He's here too. Hi, Jeb. How you doing tonight? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Well, thank you for having us in your home. By the way, um, uh, always a pleasure. Yeah. Always a pleasure. So, uh, so far, haven't damaged anything permanent. Yeah, yeah. Or permanently. Which, which, given the the opportunities, is is says something. Yeah, 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 and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm also here uh, on uh, Jeb's deck, uh, uh, overlooking the pool, overlooking the pond. Have we named the pond yet? I want to call uh, it Lake. Lake, Lake Darwin's coming up fast. <laughs> <laughs> we invited Wilson, uh, yeah. Jack's alligator friend, uh, but so far Wilson's been shy today. Y- yeah, I, we know he's here. Well, he's, you guys know he's here. You couldn't prove it by me. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. That's what they say. But, you know, I've been here for weeks now, all told. And uh, No, you've been here for like three days, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So, anyways. Uh, let's but we see. didn't come here to talk about alligators. No. We did not. No. Um, we actually, so we've been doing Sun and Fun. We've been so deeply involved in Sun and Fun for the last three weeks that we haven't done any of the regular news of the day. And there's been a, whole, a handful of really wacky stories in aviation uh, over the last few weeks. And uh, I wanted to kind of touch on these. We may or may not talk a long time about any of them. But, uh, uh, um, well, here's not, not one of the wacky stories, but just to kind of get a few things out of the way. Um, so a while back, we talked about Runway Finder, the, uh, right. the online mapping flight planning service that was shut down um, in a, uh, a licensing dispute uh, uh, with uh, a, uh, I guess a company called Flight Prep claimed to own the license to the kind of thing that Runway Finder was doing. And they have apparently settled this lawsuit. Um, I actually haven't looked at Runway Finder since, but apparently Runway Finder is back on the net and doing its thing again. Um, it, it, it's kind of a funny situation. Are you guys paying attention to this? It's uh, Runway Finder was all gung ho. He was going to prove that he was going to break this license, and he was going to prove that these folks didn't have a right to well, claim these these. Uh, it, it, look, it, it all comes down to to how much money you're willing to spend, and how much money you you want, and how much money you have. This is strictly about money, really. Yeah. Okay. And and they made an accommodation. They, they worked out some some arrangement between the two of them. I it, it would strike me that they both probably had a good claim to something, but they could litigate this and throw money at lawyers, mm-hmm. and nobody gets rich except lawyers. 
or they can, you know, come to some arrangement. Yeah. The lawyers have already gotten, you know, their due. They probably have, this, yeah. this far anyway. But, you know. So, uh, Runway Finder has... No, uh, no offense to anybody out there who happens to have the JJD or, or something like that, but that's, you know, that's kind of the way the system's working right. these days. Now, uh, Runway Finder has... A lot of people have donated money to Runway Finder to support a legal defense fund and other uh, things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he has... Uh, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't, they just, shouldn't they just contribute that to UCAP? Oh, well, that's an idea. I never thought of that. But what he's said publicly is that he's refunding all that money. Well, that's nice. To, uh, that's uh, good. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, as long as, as, long as the, other, the two parties involved are happy um, and people get their money back, everybody should be happy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, another notorious story, and this one's a couple of weeks old now, but uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about it in the podcast yet. And, and, I think uh, we touched on this. I think think we may have talked about it on one of the sun and fun episodes but i think this happened i mean before we went because it well if we have then we're going to talk about it again um this is the story about uh the uh pair or two or three airliners that arrived uh at uh washington national airport only to discover nobody answering from the tower and turns out that the tower controller apparently fell asleep uh this is the middle of the night and maybe not uh, you may i think you're right yeah Yeah. and uh and and so you know, I guess one of them sort of didn't approach, and then decided to go around, and then went around, and then came back and landed as as if it was an uncontrolled airport, and another one just plain landed as it was as if it was an uncontrolled yeah, airport, yeah. which, you know. On one level, this is a whole lot of nothing because there are procedures to cover these kinds of right. things, especially in the middle of the night in an airport that's pa- practically you know, you know, nothing going on. Uh, on the other hand, this is a lot of something because this is, you know... Well, and there's I mean, this a lot the, more than what's There's in, a lot of layers to this story. Well, that, well, and there's a lot more than what's in this story that we've gotten a yeah. link to. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of layers here. One, uh, having only one person on duty in the tower at Washington National Airport uh, on a weeknight or whatever the hell night it was, it doesn't matter... Isn't isn't the smartest thing to do? Yeah. Uh, there's there's a there's a staffing decision that needs to be made. There's, it's clear that you know uh, there should have been two people in that tower. Whether whether the 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 controller in question was asleep, whether he locked himself out, I've kind of heard it both ways. I think the more definitive is that he actually fell asleep. I, I think that's been. I think. I think that's pretty much been acknowledged. I think he's acknowledged that yeah, now. Yeah. The, the question I had from the beginning, and I think I have an answer to this. My question was: Did he, did he decide to take a nap, or did Not, no one knows that? At was this he at his post and he nodded off? I, I presume that'll come out, but I don't. I don't know that now, distinction. Well, and I think I've heard that he was at his post and he nodded off, yeah. but. And that's you know, and that's bad, but that's not sure. as bad as the other. It's not as bad. Well, the, the, you know the. It, it, couple of things that stand out first off potomac approach apparently had good radar coverage still for the area and they handled the approach from there once tower didn't come up uh so it's not like they were landing without knowing what the traffic situation was around there and approach would be in on presumably any departures cleared for that time by by the land communication from departure which was different there's always the odd controller there's always the odd vfr operation uh for one thing Uh, helicopters whatever uh in that area um now because of that what that airspace is um pretty much you know if, if a sparrow breaks wind um, um, NORAD knows about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, it, it wasn't a matter of, you know, oh my God, we're all going to die or anything like that. Everybody knew what was going on and everybody was talking to each other. So um, 
I think you know, from what I understand, you know, everybody kind of did the right thing. Except the, except the one controller. Except, except for, you know, well, small details, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it brings uh, except up for that one controller. But all, all the ATC, you know, uh, Potomac Tracon, um, the crews, the flight crews, um, everybody did as they were told. Everybody, you know, wasn't, it was a fairly normal operation, if, except for, you know, having some guy look out a window from a mile away and say, yeah, you're cleared to land. Um, well, that was the one that I heard, the one legitimate concern about them treating it like an uncontrolled field, and that was the question of whether the runway was clear. You know, was well, there, you always have that, even at an uncontrolled field, duh. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but at, at an airport, so you've got a lot of ground people working who think there's a controller in the tower kind of keeping things coordinated, and so it's possible that someone could be on the runway thinking well, that no one's going to try if, and land while I'm here. I wonder if the tower guy was having to handle ground and well, clearance delivery and all that that's stuff at what the same it sound, time. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And, and I would think maybe not clearance delivery, but I would think ground and, and local control. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't, yeah. at that, hour that, that happens fairly often and, at and airports. There's not that much. Tra- <clears throat> there wouldn't be that much traffic there to begin with. Yeah. But the the the, the uh, <laughs> what what what's yeah, uh, twistedly amusing is that the the new procedure been created to deal with this problem is that they will call the facility in the future, and which is they, which they did anyway. Yeah, which and is the guy exactly didn't wake they, up to the phone call. Right. So it's exactly what they did. I'm thinking night. maybe. Somebody from the front desk should come up and knock on the door and say, "Excuse me, sir, it's your wake-up call." <laughs> yeah. So you have tra- you have traffic on approach, sir. Uh, wake up. Well, yeah. cu- you know, one couple of operational things to keep in mind. First, it sounds like the, the first crew did the right thing by going around. Uh, keeping in mind here, local controls function is really to separate traffic on the runway. They're really not responsible for patterns or anything like that. They can sequence people for the runway. Uh, but it's all about what's on or not on the runway at any given time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, treating it as an uncontrolled uh, airport, I don't know. Um, was it an uncontrolled airport? I mean, excuse me, was it a non-towered airport? Clearly the published data indicate that it should have been a, considered a towered airport. Right. Um, is Potomac Tracon uh, able to grant... A landing clearance at National Airport kind of sort of sounds like it. So I think all the legalities are tamped down, except, of course, for the guy who fell asleep. Yeah. Well, according to a later story, controller was suspended. Duh. Pending further investigation. Uh, And... I haven't read or heard anything yet about the obvious solution, which would be to uh, staff these towers with a second person for those late-night well, no, shifts. No, I think I heard that. NATCA, I think they've already done that. Yeah, NATCA certainly they, jumped on that immediately, and the FAA, I think, agreed, and I think that's the new um, uh, de facto staffing at National Ter- Tower right. for the this, future. <laughs> this, this solo, this solo uh <laughs> wee hours of the morning controller thing was an issue in Lexington, Kentucky years ago when a CRJ tried to take off from a runway, runway half as long as it needed. Right. Uh, so it's not like fatigue, distraction, uh, long hours haven't come into play yeah. before. Yeah. This time everything came out okay. Yeah, yeah I guess. Okay. 
Jeb, can I get you to twist that mic just a little bit, the, the whole base, so that just the mic is pointed a little more at your face? No, the other way. Like that. There you go. I'm trying to lean into it every now and then. Yeah, and I don't need you to lean into it. I just want it pointed at your head. Yeah, thank you for that. You, yeah, you just like things that are pointed at my head. <laughs> so the, uh, the alligator sound effects are working real well tonight. That, you, you placed those speakers very nicely <coughs> out there. and uh, Yeah, I, I, had to, I had to turn over the CD. <laughs> Uh, what's next here? Let's see now. Oh, so FAA has issued some sort of interim rule regarding through the fence operations. Are, are either of you guys paying attention to this? Yeah, there's an interim rule. Is this New an improvement? Rule. Is this a progress? Is this what we like? Is this it, it's progress? I'm not sure like, that I, I have not become familiar enough with it to. Ba to basically, what it does is, as I understand it, is grandfather's existing through the fence agreements. Yeah. And strongly cautions against any further. Okay, fine. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that they might, under some circumstances, approve new ones? Um, I haven't dived that far down into it. Give me no. a second. Yeah. No, Jeb's got his... We're sitting out here on the porch, and we don't all have our normal laptop setups. Dave has his regular laptop in front of him. Jeb has an iPad in front of him, and uh, and I have mine. I, there's, there's no room out here for my laptop. It's more of a miniature desktop. Ah, I see. Okay. The AOPA's uh, manager of airport policy seems happy with it, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, seems to provide a, an avenue for the existing ones to not only continue, but for new ones to be submitted for approval uh, according to what they plan to develop as best practices for mm -hmm. these things, based on what's out there now. So, okay. Uh, that's promising. It's uh, promising. When they approve the first new one. I feel like that it's it's got a foundation and going forward. I, I do too, but but uh, you know, hats off to Brent Blue. He's the one who picked this up, picked up this ball, yep. and started Absolutely. running with it. And he's done a very nice job in my book. He's done a very professional job. This is not over with. I'm sure he would say. Um, and I, but I, you know, we we all have him on soon to talk about this. That would be great. Yeah, um, yeah he's head and shoulders, 180 yeah. degrees out yeah. from where it sounded yeah. like it was going but, 18 but, months ago. But if you look at this analytically from a you know, standpoint of a lobbying effort, for example, he's done everything by the book. He's done it. He's done it professionally, and the outcome was was favorable. So nothing, nobody could should, should be able to say, you know, could have done this, could have done that. He certainly got status quo out of the deal. And we might get a better policy in the future, and that's all good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yep. Jeb, you put this on the list. I wasn't aware of this. Um, the Brazilian midair. Uh, this is the uh, Embraer uh, Bizjet that uh, uh, had a midair collision with a uh, 737 Brazilian right. what, Brazilian Airlines 737. Correct. Uh, 737 crashed. All all on board lost. The uh, Bizjet managed to land. Um, the U.S. pilots aboard the BizJet uh, became the, the subjects of uh, possible, uh, uh, you know, uh, criminal prosecution. They managed to get out of the country legally. I mean, they managed to come home well, legally. They, yeah, they um, came home legally. Um, and then it's been kind of well. And then, and then I think we think uh, what a, con a Brazilian controller, a Brazilian <coughs> military controller, was put in jail. I thought uh, certainly convicted of something. Um, that's the last I heard. Now, um, is there some sort of trial going on? There is. Um, and, uh, um, excuse me, um, what's going on, there is a trial being conducted. Um, the courtroom is in Brazil. One of the, <clears throat> two of the witnesses in the trial are in Long Island, New York. 
That would be the pilots? That would be the pilots. Yeah. And they're doing this via teleconference. And there's an article in the New York Times that I came across um, dated March 30, um, which um, discusses some of the, you know, just the, the, the surrealness of having this trial via remote control, basically. Yeah, does it indicate why... So I can certainly understand they don't want to go back to Brazil. Um, certainly dude, not for dude, a trial. I'm, I'm not going back. To yeah, Brazil. really. I've had enough. Why yeah. even participate in a trial? Um, um, why not? Well, I mean, I, I guess there's. I, I, yeah, I, no, I can I, think I, of a lot of reasons. I why think, not? I can think of a lot of reasons why not too. Maybe they didn't have, you know, the, the choice uh, between participating in a trial and not participating in a trial. Uh, maybe this is the better choice for them yeah. right now. I mean, I is there any know. is there any likelihood this is a package deal and they know it's going to come out in a particular way and so they'll play along and uh, it's let the I, Brazilians uh, be, get safe face and uh, you know I wouldn't you know if if Wilson came walking through the screen door walked up and sat down and said hey can I have a microphone I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. <laughs> Wilson's the alligator, by the way. Well, okay. it's it. Representative is something kind of a disturbing trend, or at least in my mind, a disturbing trend, and that's trying to find a criminal angle or criminalized yeah. accidents. I was going to ask that about are this. Yeah. Actually, accidents, uh, and not treat them as so and try to learn from them. And when you start treating these as criminal events, uh, the, the nature of what's generally been an open investigative process, one where people had more incentive and, and more comfort in speaking freely changes dramatically it becomes adversarial instead of investigative uh it can change the uh definitely change the willingness of people to participate now these gentlemen i can't begin to speak for why they could do it i can imagine some reasons like uh trying to work as a pilot internationally when a foreign country has uh, uh criminal charges pending on you and the possibility of uh, being uh, detained someplace where there is an extradition treaty with Brazil. Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, but it bothers me on the level of, regardless of their motivations or, or, or what, what was behind their decision, on the level of it setting a precedent for this kind of situation. Uh, that disturbs me a lot. Yeah, I agree. It, it, and it seems to be happening from time to time these days where uh, pilots are being pr criminally prosecuted for incidents, you know. And uh, we've heard that a couple times recently. Well, we've uh, heard it, you know, I think we're going to hear it in, in the Air France. Well, not in the Air France thing. Well, um, we are kind of. I mean, there's a manslaughter trial yeah, going on, yeah, you know. Yes. And, uh, and, and perhaps there should be on, on, on some levels. Um, in, in looking at the... This this Brazilian midair, um, the facts are that you know it was an accident. No one wanted this to happen. They thought they were doing the right. Everybody thought they were doing the right thing, you know, pretty much. Um, and the accident happened. Mm -hmm. uh, the midair happened. Um, should is that a criminal offense? That should not be a criminal offense. If if someone knowingly somewhere made a decision. Um, whether it's in the design of an aircraft or the operation of the aircraft, uh, and they knowingly, you know, 
cut corners or, or make a decision that results in directly results in, in a problem, then you know that's a whole different issue. But that's not what this is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one of the you know I keep calling these wacky stories. They're just kind of weird stories, and this is another one of them. Um, so about a week or so ago, uh, uh, there was basically an air traffic controller asked a 737 airliner crew to divert from their course to try and eyeball um, a Cirrus, I believe it was, that had been out of radio contact for a little while, and they wanted to get, a, get a, they wanted someone to look at this thing to see what the circumstances were, and. And since then, I mean, and it was kind of, in my view, that's a wacky thing to ask for in the first place. I just don't even know what they were thinking. All right, how is a seven thirty seven going to get well, going to get in sufficiently formation with a Cirrus to see anything? Well, you know, the best closing, the best speed differential I can imagine in that situation must be a couple hundred miles an hour. No, no. First of all, the Cirrus, as I understand it, and from from some of the published reports, the Cirrus apparently was a twenty two. I would guess. Uh, in cruise at 11,000 feet, headed down basically down the spine of Florida. Right. Um, and, you know, straight and level, but just not talking to ATC. Right. And I've flown that airspace a lot, and, and Jack's center, Jack's approach, um, sometimes get a little flaky. I, I can easily see how somebody would be um, tuned to what they thought was the correct frequency right. and hearing chatter in their vicinity. Yeah. And ATC is just not talking to them. Right. Okay. And that's apparently what happened. Yeah. They, they were yeah. on the wrong so, frequency. So that's, that's the serious crew. And moments after this all happened, by the way, they did get on the right 30 frequency. 30 seconds. Yeah. Duh, you think they saw the 7-3 go by? <laughs> well, this is my question. <laughs> you know. uh, uh, come on. So anyway, the, the ATC, as, as they are wont to do, it doesn't matter if it's a private aircraft or an air, air carrier aircraft. If there's an aircraft nearby about which they have a question, they might ask a passing aircraft, say, hey, do you see something out there? Or uh, can you raise this guy on this frequency? Or da-da-da-da-da. And um, uh, I've, ha- I've been asked to do it before. All pilots have been asked to help out a little bit. Well, okay. yes. But, I mean, a radio relay, yes, you know, or sort of a long view, yes. But they they wanted this 737 crew to look in the cockpit of the Cirrus. Well, well they it, wanted it, you, to... you mentioned speeds, though, for, for a moment. If this is a normal 22 cruising at, at 11,000 feet, yeah. it's doing 170 knots. Okay. A 73 can easily do 170 knots at 11,000 feet. And that's where I really start to get up because I really don't think the crew should have, the 73 crew should have slowed down to that I, kind of we speed. We don't know that they did. Right. And that's here, what, here's all I know is that the the um, the Cirrus is in level in cruise flight and the the 7-3 was vectored in at 12,000 feet. Okay. Now I don't know and up behind them. And I don't know if you know, the 7-3 crew spotted the Cirrus and assumed visual separation with that aircraft and then maneuvered so that they could see inside the cockpit. Or if they went over the top of it at 12,000 feet and looked down. I don't know. Right. Okay. And then the 7-3 was, was vectored for the, for the final to join the, the arrival into Miami. Yeah. David, Orlando, do you and, and have, any, have any more information about this? You know, you could play a drum solo on the knees jerking on this thing. Yeah. I mean, seriously. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, first off, violation of separation standards have uh, been at, at, in, uh, in the flight levels more than a number of times when the aircraft passed us 
it was in visual range. We had visual contact, and nobody balked. The airplane went by 1,000 feet below, 2,000 feet below, uh, within the quote-unquote separation standard because we were visual with one another. Even though we were on instrument flight plans, we were visual with the traffic, and they were with us. We heard them say so. We, heard, we said so. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm almost feeling like there's a double standard here. When they're not deviating a, 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 a revenue flight that's got a visual on a business jet or a turboprop, here, here's one because of it's all visual, uh, but then they do this and everybody gets their empanage up out of the sunshine. Uh, the Southwest had visual on the Cirrus. They saw it. They reported it and then turned away. The Cirrus people went, you know, holy crap, there's a 737. <laughs> Maybe and, we should be talking to somebody. And called up and said, hey, guys, did, why didn't you tell us about this? Uh I think the, uh, the, the, the Cirrus SR-22 crew might want to get a letter and a little remedial about communications procedures when they're on an instrument flight plan. Uh, the controller and the Southwest crew, uh, I think, ought to be pushing their controllers in the, or their bosses in the nose. It's yeah. stupid. Here, and by, let me just add here, I don't think we've said this out loud, both the controller and the 7-3 crew have been suspended. I know. That's uh, just it is blowing um, snow. Here's the other thing that's going on here, though. Is, is think back, way back now, almost 20 years, to uh, Senator John Hines. Um, he was a passenger in a chartered Aerostar. Right. Okay. Uh, trying to get into Philly uh, one afternoon, midday, midday, I guess. And they had a little gear problem. Right. And they were circling near the airport at Philly trying to resolve the gear problem. And uh, an incoming, or maybe it was outgoing, actually, Bell helicopter a 400 series Bell helicopter volunteered to go take a look mm -hmm. and flew basically right up the bottom of the Aerostar and right. both aircraft crashed and all, all aboard were killed. Right. The, the, the official um, um, probable cause is basically they got too, they got too close to the Aerostar and basically sucked the airplane down into the rotors. Right. That's and, and both what I heard. Crashed. Yeah. Uh, but, that was that was a uh, a fairly obvious um, you know problem in coordination. You're doing formation flying, you're doing you know one aircraft is in extremis, um, you know da 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 da, and it was just uh, you know kind of dumb. They certainly don't want to see that kind of thing happen again between a Cirrus and a seven three. Okay, uh, and and we've we've heard and seen a lot of uh, of, of you know issues about. Um, um, Flyby's gone wrong, and, and uh, you know we don't want to make a, 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 a situation worse, and that's one of the things that happened in the Heinz uh, midair. Right. That's, that's, that, that didn't come close to this here, but I think that's one of the things that a lot of people might be freaked out about yeah. is, is repeating that yeah. kind of an event. When you think about the instances where aircraft of one type or another have stayed outside of contact with with air traffic controllers when they were on an instrument flight plan, had established contact, and then aren't responding for over an hour. Some of the weird things that have happened. Now, in one case, it was a couple of airline pilots who say they were fooling with their scheduling on their laptops when they overflew a destination by a good bit. Oh, welcome to Calgary. Oh, gee, we didn't mean to go there. I guess Toronto. Uh, 
other instances where it's been somebody uh, incapacitated and the airplane flew around, along until the tank went dry. Uh, so the instinct of the controllers, I think, makes perfect sense here. Uh, and the Southwest guys, they were doing something that they were comfortable doing or they would have declined it. Right. They didn't have to do that. They, the, you know, ATC asked them, and they they accepted. They, you know, come on, an experienced seven three crew for Southwest. They know they don't have to comply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now let's meet our computer contestant, Dixon. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that, knew that, knew, knew that. So in a, uh, in a story that's really very interesting, uh, that's just breaking today, uh, overnight last night and during the day today, um, they have apparently found Air France uh, 447, the, uh, the airliner like that, uh, the Airbus, what, was, what sort Airbus, of Airbus? Airbus uh, A330. Yeah, that, uh, that disappeared in a thunderstorm over the South Atlantic about, uh, what, two years ago? A year? Wow, uh, this is dated yesterday. It was June 1 of uh, 09. Yeah, and... Uh, very, very deep water, very, very remote, had a real hard time. This is about the third or fourth or fifth expedition. This is, I think, the fourth uh, deep water expedition, yeah. including which includes the uh, uh, immediate you know, yeah. aftermath, the crash recovery uh, phase. And I, I think I heard reports last night that they were just saying we found pieces, and so you're all kind of holding your breath. But well, this morning now they're saying they found major pieces. They well, found, what it's sounding like is they found the center section of the airplane. Yeah. Um, didn't say anything about the cockpit, and they haven't found the tail yet, which is where the recorders are going to be located. Um, but it sounds like they, they say they found, you know, fuselage. They, they didn't say fuselage, but the, basically they found uh, fuselage, center, wing center section, and engines, at mm-hmm. least one engine. Yeah. Um, and that's a major achievement. That's a major achievement. They're, they're saying the water in that area is as deep as 4,000 meters, which is in excess of 12,000 feet. And that's. That's fucking deep. Man. Yeah, you know? yeah. Now, and um, and they're planning to raise these pieces. I don't know what they're planning to do with those pieces. Uh, apparently, um, um, there may be an attempt to recover bodies. There were bodies found in this. I did hear that uh, they have found you know, the remains remains of passengers uh-huh. um, in that fuselage section. Yeah, easy for me to say. And uh, you know, I, I I'm not an oceanographer, um, um, and I'm not going to. Uh, you know, be climbing on whales and pulling tennis balls out of their 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 uh, um, uh, breathing uh, their noses, but um, um, you, you'll get that reference later. Uh, later on. It'll come to me while I'm editing. Uh, so yeah. I'm not an oceanographer or, or a marine biologist, but um, uh, it strikes me that decomposition at those depths would not be nearly as severe as it might have been at, at uh, lesser depths. I guess I don't know. Yeah. But they are saying that they've recovered, and that will be a, a sort of comfort for some of the families. Um, well, 
all, all of all of that is is true, and I can't imagine um, how their families feel uh, yeah. about this. And I would never begin to speak for them. Yeah. Uh, but the flip side of which is they still haven't found the Holy Grail, and the Holy Grail is the black box. Yeah, but they've and got a much smaller they, they, circle. They, they've to play got with a now. much better idea now, and I think it's just a matter of time. Yeah. They're not going to stop now. Yeah. They're not until they find what they're looking uh, for. Finding them and bringing up pieces or. Two really yeah. different tasks. Yeah. Getting, getting those two boxes is is a relatively easy task compared to trying to recover wreckage from twelve thousand feet. Yeah, so I can't imagine. You know, I can't imagine either having to deal with either task. I mean, there's right. professionals out there who can. Yeah. That, that's one of the things that fascinates me about this, though, is the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, literally finding a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that that just that's just amazing yeah because as we've said before it's not simply deep water it's mountainous deep water it's, exactly it, you know. it's, it's it's basically a mountain range down there yeah and it's some of the uh from what i understand just the descriptions is some of the more abrupt and rugged terrain on earth yeah yeah i mean yeah. it's it's like it would have been like trying to search for faucet from a jetliner flying overhead you know something like that you know yeah. um faucet who was who was lost in the rocky mountains a couple well, of years back woods hole oceanographic institution in in uh, Cape Cod, Mass. Yeah, they're leading the search. They're putting down three sonar robots into really deep water. Uh, it's all fairly mountainous terrain down there, and that that can be kind of a tough concept to wrap your mind around. Uh, big steep mountain ranges underwater. Yeah, but there's really no other word for them. Yeah. And this is another one of those cases where we have an accident with an unknown cause, and there are now preliminary manslaughter charges pending right. Right. Um, against the airline Air France and Airbus. Uh, so without something from the flight data recorder to help them find a cause, I'm not sure what it does to those charges. Make them more likely, less likely? I don't know. Time will tell. I mean, I uh, think everything goes on hold until they find out whether they get the boxes back. That will either help or hinder. Well, I, I would think that... that if, any, any prosecutions in that case are going to be, you know, put on hold for a while. I don't know what that is. What's out there. that noise? That's an interesting noise. Is that Wilson playing a xylophone? It's some kind of bird. Oh, okay. I have no idea what kind of bird that As is. As I've said many times for before, all this know, is the... Uh, for all I know, that's a pterodactyl. This is the Burnside okay. Menagerie here. Um, one last question about 447. Uh, do we have any expectation about the 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 ability of these recorders to hold up after, under these conditions um that's a very good question you and i spoke about that earlier in the day um we'll find out yeah because if there's data in those boxes this is going to be just it, intriguing it, it really is and and because these are good recorders too they've got all kinds the, of data this is an, this is a a line you know current a330 um it's got the latest gear and it, it, you know I, I i'm optimistic that the 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 equipment's not damaged by by you know being submerged for so long in such greater pressure. Right. Um, but no one has said you know that the black box won't survive this. So we'll see. I, yeah, I mean, I think if they didn't have an expectation that the box could survive, they <clears throat> right. wouldn't have spent this kind of money to right. find them. And, right. Uh, I mean, that's just my speculation. My, mine also. Uh, mine well, also. French investigators have actually released photos of wreckage. Yeah, I've seen the water pull, so. pulling a couple pieces over the side. Yeah, this, Those are new pictures, though. That's my question. They seem to be new dated pictures. today. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I think those uh, the only pictures I've seen uh, associated with four four seven. 
I stand corrected. What does that look like to you? They say it's a piece of wing. I, I think it is. Yeah. I think uh, it is. And they've apparently got more images. David, what website are you looking at? Uh, this is uh, from Yacht News Yahoo. So it's probably AP. That's, I don't, it, that's uh, just, could be anything. Dateline, Monday, April 4, 12, 12 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Anyways, we're, uh, we're going to keep following this because it's pretty fascinating. But uh, it's about all we know for now. So a Southwest uh, seven three they're all seven three seven Southwest uh, airliner experienced a uh, uh, I don't know if it's accurate to call it an explosive decompression but but an unexpected major uh, cock, uh, uh, um, pressurization it decompression. Sounds, it sounds like a major decompression. Yeah, a big hole blew yeah. in the ceiling of this thing, uh, and uh, the uh, oxygen masks popped down, and um, there was serious oxygen, uh, uh, you know, shortage in the in the in the cabin. Uh, a couple people lost consciousness. Uh, one of the flight attendants uh, lost consciousness and, and apparently hurt herself, him, her, her, or himself, um, falling. And uh, the, uh, perhaps as a result of the fact that they also did an emergency descent, which is the standard procedure when you have that kind of thing, is like get down to where there's oxygen as quickly if, as if possible. If they can pull it off, they're going to get into such a steep. There's more. They're going to get into such a steep descent so quickly. You 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 could conceivably go weightless yeah. a little bit there. Yeah, they're going to push over and get down uh, low. They, so, uh, they went from thirty six thousand to eleven thousand just about as fast as they could safely go. And the initial pushover to that's going to be yeah quite a ride right and but all things considered that's the right thing to do because you, that's the only thing you can do. you got to get down to some place where there's air and uh, yeah so you need to get down because the canisters that supply oxygen to the passengers uh, aren't designed to last you know as long as it might take you to make a normal descent right from thirty six thousand feet normal descent would probably last about thirty minutes right and how long did this descent take do you know. Uh, it doesn't say here, but I would be surprised if it lasted more than about seven or eight minutes. Uh, I would imagine they got that puppy in with all the spoilers out in 3,300, 3,500 foot a minute. Descent. Yeah, what, what's that like? Uh, can, what, what sort of deck angle would that result in? Do you know? Is it like pretty nose down? or? <laughs> well, if the spoilers are doing their job, the deck angle won't be nearly as severe as if yeah. you had to do it without. Right, right. Yeah. 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 So um, now the. Uh, but the uh, the upshot of this whole story now is that there's a major inspection thing going on of certainly of Southwest 737s. Oh, this this was a, as I understand it, this was a uh, South. This was a 737-300. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is basically about the earliest 73s still in operation, regular operation here in the US. The 200s just aren't in operation anymore. The 100s got retired a long time ago. 100s 200s not very fuel efficient. Um, the 300 was the first with the big uh, high bypass engines on it, and um, I'm kind of surprised to hear Southwest is still operating something that old. But um, that's you know, say la vie. Right. But that's the punchline in all this: is the number of fatigues on the airframe. Right. Um, um, we, it happens, and you know, it's good that we caught it, and it's good they handled. It. We've had we've seen it happen with other airplanes. Mm-hmm. Not coincidentally, most of them were seven threes. Right. Uh, we saw it off Hawaii. Um, uh, plane landed at Maui, missing um, um, most of the, of the, right. of that, the ceiling sure. of its roof um, uh, forward of the wings. Yeah, and that one did involve a fatality, but as uh, I understand it, it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, this one. 
Well, and, and so the, the immediate result was uh, a Southwest temporarily grounded uh, something on the order of 80 aircraft in order to inspect them. Uh, they found apparently three of those with cracks and corrosion sufficient to uh, concern them, and uh, they're still inspecting them. Do you know whether has are other airlines doing inspections now too? Are 737s throughout the fleet being inspected? I would, I would suspect they are. I, I would suspect that there's maintenance supervisors all over the country, whether anywhere there's 737 300s, 400s, or 500s, because they're all same production generation. Right. Uh, they're going to be looking at that part of the of the fuselage uh, for any signs of any any deficiencies, weaknesses, uh, how they do that. There's a lot of non-destructive methods they can use without pulling things apart that will get them started down that path. Uh, The fact that it's a 300, uh, they no longer make the 300. They're on to a later generation. Uh, But this could roll out into others because the major upgrades from one generation to another were focused more on changes to the engines and the flight deck and the internal systems than the fuselage itself, as mm-hmm. I understand yeah. it. So, uh, and like the Aloha event, uh, I imagine fatigue is going to have a, a role in this too. Uh, the Aloha event was what? That was the one I was talking about. Right, yeah. yeah. 23 years ago now. A long time ago, yeah. Uh, that airplane lost just short of 20 feet of the fuselage. Uh, of the skin of the fuselage. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the roof. The top. The upper skin, the upper sort of half of the... The roof. The roof, excuse me. Yes, I'm sorry, technically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, was like, it, it was like you had a convertible and the top blew away. Yeah. Uh, they were at 240 on a short hop in, in the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, the, they lost a flight attendant on that. She right. was walking down the aisle, and when it... When it started to go away, she went away with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you told me an interesting stat- uh, a factoid about that, that that those aircraft have more operations than ours. Yeah, they had more, far more cycles than ours. Yeah. Uh, In other words, the average flight was less than an hour on that particular operator. Yeah. Yeah. And a cycle, when you go to twenty four, twenty six, twenty seven thousand feet, like they do on the inner islands there. You get into a pretty good pressurization event. Then when you come down, it shrinks again, uh, works it. Yeah. Now, that's, is that, that the big factor, we think, that's causing this fatigue? It's not so much corrosion like, you know, the aluminum equivalent of rust. It's, well, it's the number one contributor it's early the on. It's flexing. We don't, we don't know yet in this episode. We don't know. Okay. This, this latest episode. We don't know if it was corrosion. We don't know if it was uh, fatigue. Combination uh, of the ma- two. Manufacturing defect, we yeah. don't know. I, I stand corrected. You're absolutely right. We don't know. Uh, but, you know, kind of speculation, I don't know, is that it has to do with these pressurization cycles. Well, there's no, there's no speculation that pressurization cycles impact uh, the fuselage and can create stress and, and uh, metal fatigue problems. Uh, and there's a lot of inspections that they do to monitor that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, what do they call it? Eddy current inspections around rivets and seams can turn up little small cracks. Well, what's what's that like? Eddy current? It sounds like it's some sort of electrical inspection. Yeah, no, that was a, that, that was a, um, um, a rock a and roller back in the fifties. Eddy current. Eddie you you current, never heard him? Yeah. No, and he invented this gadget. <laughs> On the roof of the gazebo. Oh yeah. We got a hawk sitting out That's here in hawk. Jeb's backyard. It's very cool. It's very cool. Seriously, what's an eddy current uh, inspection? It's a uh, a little coil that uses magnetic current to detract. Uh, I don't understand its technical 
how it works to technically, but it uses uh, electromagnetic current uh, applied uh-huh. over the metal, and it can detect cracks. Oh, okay. And you know they train because that's what I was wondering. Use those things. How they actually are inspecting these? Are they just simply visually inspecting these, or are they doing X-rays? There's a lot of different ways. Well, there's a lot of different ways, and I would guess that uh, initial inspections are being done visually, and then followed up with with uh, eddy current or some other mechanism, maybe X-rays. Yeah, kind of depends on yeah. what they're looking for. Ultrasound what, kind what of the, things. Are, what the yeah. failure mode was. What they're looking for is it sheet metal? Is it a stringer? What are they looking for? Yeah, no one knows. I, I just I don't know right now. You know the pictures of this one just the other day that that popped um, showed a hole in the you know showed the hole through from the co- cabin through the ceiling. Yeah, and you the can liner. Actually, That's yeah. a liner. And I'm wondering whether or not they have to actually remove the inner shell of the of the cabin For in order to... For some kind of inspection, they may have to, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Not, to, not to go back here, we're talking about pictures. While we've been talking, I, I uh, used the Google. Um, and uh, there's a, a story in, I guess, the mirror in London uh, that has, uh, of the Air France 447, mm-hmm. that has images of wreckage on the seafloor. Oh. It's very, very cool. Very good. I'm sorry, say again that website? The it's uh, the mirror. Uh, hang on a second. Jeb, check it out. The hawk's on the corner of your screen house right oh, yeah. now. Yeah. Um, hang so, on a second. Uh, it's, a, it's what you call a chicken hawk, what I call a red tail hawk. That's, that's, that's a red tail hawk. Yeah. 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 Uh, mirror.co.uk. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Images of the uh, from the seafloor, very very cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just after after sunset here. It's still pretty light, but uh, there's still plenty of uh, of daylight. For this hawk is probably hunting, looking yeah, for his a little GA action right here. At looking Jeff's. for his yeah, you know, looking for his dinner meal here. Uh, it's actually very cool because uh, somewhat less than hundred dollar hamburger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah this so be uh, the fifty cent mouse. Yeah. This I I don't know. I'm just. The, getting back to the southwest decompression, you know, uh, corrosion, skin, uh, metal fatigue kind of thing. Is there any lesson here for GA pilots, or is this really a kind of well, pressurization airliner issue? There is and there isn't. Uh, um, clearly fatigue, if, if that's what this is. <clears throat> um, you know, first of all, most of our most personal aircraft are not pressurized. Uh, that's uh, an increasing percentage of them are, but most of them aren't. So pressurization fatigue failures aren't really uh, an issue in them. When it comes to airframe <coughs> fatigue, that's clearly an issue in, in personal aircraft. The, the older the aircraft is, let's face it, the greater should be those concerns. That's not to say that, that newer aircraft <coughs> won't have similar issues. That's not to say that older aircraft are falling apart. They just need to be inspected and looked at and, and monitored and maintained. Um, with respect to again this this uh, the southwest southwest three three seven, it's it's really early. Should we should we be looking for corrosion? Should we be you know, was this a Hawaii, was this a, a seaside airplane for a while or something like that? What's the history of this airplane? Um, what other you know this is not the first time this has happened um, to a seven three or, or to any other aircraft. What do we know about why this happened? How it happened? Um, cycles on the aircraft, all, all these kinds of questions. Before, and, and we have to look at that uh, before we can make a decision. So we have to look at that in, in personal aircraft also. 
Um, we know certain aircraft have, have certain uh, long-term maintenance issues. Uh, uh, Cessna retractable gear, um, uh, Bonanza wing spar webs, um, things like that that people always need to keep an eye on. And we're finding that with this airplane too. Yeah. And it points out you know, a couple of things. These airplanes are incredibly robust. In this case, the 737, everything ended well. Uh, second, occasionally we learned something new that hadn't happened in exactly that way before. Uh, and GA airplanes, wing spars, uh, attach points, a lot of places are subject, sub, subjected to flexing that can create fatigue issues. Corrosion is certainly an issue for some, more in some parts of the country than in others. That's why we have things called annual inspections and 100-hour inspections, because a lot of that stuff can be seen visually. We learn the history of it as it's occurred to other airplanes, and it becomes ADs and service bulletins, and mechanics know to look for it when it's happened elsewhere. Uh, it all plays into the checks and balances that sometimes we kind of uh, get upset with because the mechanic says, uh, you got some corrosion in that uh, that that one skin and we're going to have to drill it out and replace it and repaint it okay how many aviation maintenance units will this one cost yeah yeah okay okay shout outs okay shout outs yeah shout outs i've got a couple here i'm gonna uh first of all i'm gonna uh, shout out to my home state of new hampshire uh where which i will return to eventually although i'm enjoying (laughs) enjoying my stay here in florida i'm not gonna get to the running the tank tank dry debate damn i was i'm shocked shocked which one did you want to get to and at the uh aircraft nicknames oh uh, it's a big. We, we list. could take we could take a dinner break and we could come back to this. Well, wait a minute. So, so, so all right. So what what they, what what Dave is referring to is a uh, a list that we came across, and I forget it was probably called to our attention by a listener. Um, it's at a site called b737.org.uk, uh, and it's a list of aircraft nicknames, and it's a fairly extensive list of the sorts of nicknames that are given to uh, various aircraft. And, uh, is is that, fork? Is I, I know one not on there. What's that? Okay, fork-tailed, doctor-killing wiggle bird. <laughs> Which one is that? That's the V thirty-five Bonanza. That's the, or yeah, the thirty-five okay, yeah. series Bonanza. Uh, see, what's the designation of your airplane, Jeb? Yours is a uh, thirty thirty-three. A but but it's a. Is it on this list? I don't know. Well, we're, we're, it's maybe a, I should look up the list. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a lot of them here. I, I I was trying to figure out how we could talk about this. It's just a huge list of. Uh, I haven't been able to load it. Um, you haven't. I loaded. It oh, the okay. There it is. Okay, scroll down. Yeah. All right. So mine's not on the list. Okay. Well. Well, they, they've got Bonanza on here, the Doctor Killer, but um, they don't have the 33. So I'm I'm immune. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see now, David. The P28 Cherokee is a cherry tree or a chickpea? I don't know. Is this... <laughs> We'll put this. We'll put this list in the uh, show notes, and you guys can take PA a look. The A twenty eight arrow is called the Sparrow. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Um, Some of the names are not <laughs> the are not Katana DA twenty, Cessna Citation, Flying Sperm. That's see, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is bogus, man. Everybody knows the best nickname for the Cessna Citation is Slotation. Yeah, well, there we go. Or, or another one is Near Lear. Okay. Ooh, okay. Okay, so the Cessna citation entry says um, levitation, uh, 
crustacean, mutation, slotation is on there, um, near, near jet, and, and bug jet. It should, near Lear should be on there, too. Okay. Well, well, well Metroliner. San Antonio I've sewer pipe. Spent a bunch of time on over the years. San Antonio sewer pipe. Uh-huh. Death Pencil, the Swing <laughs> Texas Lawn Dart, that's the one I have to hear most of all. <laughs> I like that one best, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 called it, I, I called it the duck walk trainer because that's what it felt like every time I got on board. I had to duck walk my way down the aisle. So this is the, uh, the uh, b737.orgs.uk's list of aircraft Yeah, this, this, this list that. isn't all that bad. Okay, I, I, I take, take some of that back. All right. All right. Let's so, see. Uh, some of them are very straightforward, the ones you've always heard, like the A-10 is a warthog and the... Uh, oh, my. Did we read Skymasters? No, where is it? Cessna Skymaster? Yeah. Sky Disaster, Sky Maggot. Yeah, the Push Me Pull You, that's yeah. kind of... Like, yeah, Mix Master, Bug Smasher. Push me, pull me, pull blow me, <coughs> suck me, spin me. me. Well, that's the you know, um, what is it? Uh, suck, squeeze, bang, blow. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, I always like the buck and a half for the Cessna one hundred and fifty. It shows the the TU one hundred and forty four, which was the uh, Soviet Union's answer to the uh, supersonic jetliner. All right, and they say the nickname is the Concordsky. Concordsky. Yeah. Yes. So, all right. Everyone yeah, this this is this is not bad. This right. yeah, this this gets the stamp of approval. All right. Uh, so that's sort of a shout out. Uh, my shout out here is, like I said, to my home state of New Hampshire, uh, where uh, they recently the uh, the uh, lawmakers and 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 uh, politician you know political leaders of the state uh, gathered uh, at the state. I'm reading here from uh, the Citizen.com, which is the uh, the. Uh, 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 one of the newspapers uh, in the New Hampshire, it's actually a, it's a group of newspapers, I guess this one's specifically the Citizen of Laconia. It says, uh, lawmakers and politicians gathered at the state capitol during the Granite State Airport Managers Association meeting to recognize the vital role aviation plays within the state by proclaiming the month, this is an old story by the way, by cl- proclaiming the month of March as General Aviation Appreciation Month. So it was nice that the political leaders of New Hampshire have sort of had a little bit of a clue anyways. Um, I, I, my only thing about this is that they uh, is it, why don't they if they're going to recognize general aviation why don't they do it in a month where there's a lot of general aviation happening as opposed to March which is a little quieter in in New Hampshire, but uh, but anything's better than nothing and uh, well maybe they're just being optimistic yeah yeah right <laughs> so uh, shout out to the uh, the lawmakers and political leaders in New Hampshire for that. Uh, other shout-outs? You guys got anything? Um, yeah, uh, a quick one. Dave Schaubetter. Yeah, um, dude, go for it. Uh, thanks, man, for all your support, all your sure, help, here. all your hospitality. Um, um, you make uh, us fun and fun bearable, and I hope we make it that way for you. Appreciate all the help. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. Dave Higdon. Oh, shout-out to my buddies in the little flying club that I like to go hanging out with. They'll know who they are and what they are. And got to see a lot of them on a porch at Sun and Fun, and always a treat. Yeah. So here's lifting a a uh, a barley pop in their honor. <laughs> 
and my other shout out would be to uh, Bert Rutan, who has uh, actually announced some time ago, but in fact, uh, this week or next week, uh, he is officially retiring. And uh, uh, apparently, move, he and his, his family or he and his wife are, are leaving Mojave, which has been their home base for a long time. I knew his house had time. been for sale. Yeah, and apparently, they're going, I believe it's to Idaho they're going. Um, and uh, he says he's going to really just kind of kick back for about a year and then decide what he's going to do. Idaho? Next. Uh, let's see now. It's why, not, why not Bora Bora? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, was come very on, nice. Idaho? I, Nothing against I mean, no, our, no, our, 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 our very great nice listeners who live in Idaho. But dude, there's definitely going to be some some uh, some you know sort of weather shock after living in Mojave for all these years. He's now living it in Idaho. It gets cold, Mojave. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't snow all that much, you know. Says who? Uh, it does not often. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways. Um, Bert Rutan, a legend in his own time, literally uh, a, a man who has made incredible uh, contributions to uh, aviation uh, uh, aircraft design and to the lifestyle that we follow and well, to and, the and attitude to, that we you he, know, he, have. He has a vision. You know, yeah. he, a lot of us don't. A lot of us don't, on, yeah. at least on that level. And he has, he's got these visions of things he wants to see and do, and he makes them happen. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's a very cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, there was a great number in here of how many airplanes he's designed over the years um and uh i'm not seeing it in this particular story yeah. but it's a fascinating number i mean it's a, just a big big number of airplanes he designed and a large percentage of those were actually built to at least prototypes and uh, uh well and he gave birth to things like the starship yeah. and uh the uh around the world airplane that steve fawcett flew the around the world airplane that his brother and gina yeager flew you know beyond the uh the successful experimental designs, and then there's White Knight and start, uh, Spaceship One and White Knight Two, and it's all of its little spaceships. It'll be getting hopefully more little spaceships and then yeah. more little spaceships, and oh no, it's triple ships. Yeah. So our best to Bert Rutan. Uh, we wish him the best. Uh, we congratulate him on a spectacular career, and we wish him uh, a great retirement. And, and and I hope he doesn't disappear completely because he's yeah, just a, a tremendous addition to our community. And uh, I love hearing him talk, at, at least at Oshkosh every summer. So. Now, you just have to promise we talk about running fuel tanks dry next week. All right. We will. Okay. You really want to talk about that? Okay. Yeah, I wasn't seriously. sure if there would be a lot to talk about there, but we will. We'll talk about the uh, the question of whether or not it makes sense to run your tanks dry. You'll have Coming to wait soon next on week. a very special That's episode of UK. <laughs> That's right. That's Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, without your cheat sheet in front of you, can you tell us where to find you on the Internet? On the Internet? Oh, com aea.net, uh... Do a Google or, uh, you know, do the Google map thing on Central Florida right now, it seems. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. Um, and JEBurnside.com is also a good place. Uh, AEA.net, OccasionallyAvWeb.com, and... Um, um, haven't haven't made any police blotters lately, so that's good. Hmm. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and to all the other folks who have created the UCLA- UCAP disclaimer clips. UCLAP. Yeah, I know. There's too many C's and L's in there. 
Once again, Jack has his voice. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new improved blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you are going to say something? Thanks to everybody who donates. Thanks to everybody that shook our hand at Sun and Fun. And yes, if you want to live Shazam, long enough, yeah, yeah. fly. Because time's been flying. It's not subtracted from your lifespan. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. <laughs>